that that's my goal is to fail more this year because it means that I'm trying harder. I'm trying more audacious things and I'm learning to be okay with some of them not working, which is, yeah. I think something it's very counterintuitive, I think for a lot of leaders. I love that. I think I have learned more in my career from the failures that I made than the successes that I got, because I look back on these successes and I'm like, was it luck? Was I good at something? I don't know. But when I failed, I know I failed. There's no question about it. Learn about feedback challenges and the significance of mutual respect and teamwork with Kelly Vaughn. Explore the cultural aspects of feedback and how to create safe environments for failure. Hello, everyone. My name is Rob Osell, engineering lead at This.Labs, here for another episode in our series about engineering leadership. Today, I am here with Kelly Vaughn the Director of Engineering at Spot AI, the author of Lessons in Engineering Leadership newsletter, and a course instructor with Maven. And honestly, the list could go on. <laughs> Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me here. Thank you so much for being here. There is a ton to talk about. But first, can you just, for people that maybe aren't familiar with you or haven't met you, can you kind of give a little introduction into sort of how you've arrived at this spot with the, well, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> arrived at as the Director of Engineering at Spot AI and kind of your journey in leadership so far? For sure. Trust me, the, the spot jokes, whenever I say like spot on, like <laughs> <laughs> it happens every time. Yeah. So I took a very roundabout way into uh, a more traditional work. Uh, I taught myself how to code when I was 11. Uh, got my start with Neopets for those who are familiar. Um, I started freelancing when I was 14 years old. I freelanced all through high school, undergrad, grad school. I have three degrees that are completely irrelevant to software engineering, and I love it. Um, and I continued to freelance while I had my first quote unquote real job, uh, which was a fellowship, which is why it's sort of a real job, sort of not. I lasted nine months there after realizing that I was making more money freelancing than I was working there. So I went full time on my own once I uh, got married and I can get on my husband's health insurance. Uh, and that was 2015. Uh, so I went from freelancing full time in 2015 to rebranding as an agency in 2017. I grew that to about 25 people globally. Uh, got through the pandemic. It was a um, an e-commerce agency in particular. So things were really busy during the pandemic. I had a bit of a an identity crisis in 2021. Took a one month sabbatical. During that one month sabbatical, I co-founded another company. Uh, this one being a, a venture-backed startup, uh, we raised some amount of money in three weeks. I've now forgotten how much, but it was enough to keep us afloat, which is great. Um, and then I think the idea of running two companies full-time at the same time was not my best one, uh, and therefore I burned out. And so I ended up shutting down my agency uh, at the end of March of 22, uh, left my startup and joined Spot as an engineering manager. Uh, which four months later uh, got my director of engineering title when I took over engineering at the at the company. Uh, and now I'm focusing on just one team. Again. Nope, I am focusing on two teams once again. Uh, one engineering team, and I also now head up IT at Spot as well. <laughs> There's my journey. Wonderful. And I mean, what's fascinating about that is that it really encompasses leadership and influence at all stages, from being exactly. solo to being part of a large team, from sort of the solo independent venture to, to you know, the corp corporate world, that's sort of gives you a, a pretty big, uh, broad set of perspectives. To I've from. seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that is that kind of takes us to, I think, our first topic, which is the idea that uh, 
you've just released or just sort of launched your this course on engineering leadership with Maven. Do you want to kind of introduce maybe broadly kind of what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, just recently released my course. I have my first cohort starting on February 20th. It's called Building Influence for Engineers and EMs. And basically the purpose of this course is to help you build the three key skills that I believe you need to build influence within an organization. Um, these are the skills I see in really great engineering leaders. And the reason why I'm focusing both on EMs and engineers is because I am a firm believer that you can lead without having a management title. Also, a recent newsletter that I that I sent out, uh, and so this course really focuses around three key areas. So uh, we dig into developing your engineering team, which is you know identifying opportunities for your team, uh, areas of opportunity where they might fall short, but they could be really, really, really great engineers if they if they have a little bit of guidance to help fill those gaps, and working with them to fill those gaps. Uh, the second area is around conflict resolution. This is not just within your team itself or uh, negotiating with your product manager or other uh, leadership peers. This is also managing up. And I think you, you know, management in all directions is what really builds that influence. And then lastly is giving and receiving feedback, which is something I believe everybody can work on. Uh, we had a really great conversation before we started filming this um, about how difficult it is to receive feedback. You know, we tend to focus on learning how to receive feedback or to give feedback, but not the other way around. Yeah. As managers, right. You feel like that's like your position. You have the big megaphone and you just get to tell people what they need to do better. Exactly. And, uh, and, and well, certainly uh, maybe we're more comfortable giving feedback. That doesn't necessarily mean we're good at it either. <laughs> that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> I even like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm somebody who teaches how to give great feedback and I slip. You know, there have been multiple times when I, I get done, you know, talking to my team about something and I'm like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that that way. And then I'll follow up with them afterwards. Be like, hey, let's talk about the feedback that I just gave you. <laughs> I'm going to give myself some feedback here. You know, we, we live in an age where I think, you know, if you are public at all, you're exposed to all sorts of feedback. And, you know, when I hear in the creator space, say, uh, an author or somebody that makes a TV series or something like that. There's these schools of thought about whether you should be listening to your audience and kind of incorporating that feedback or saying, I have an artistic vision. This is the way that I want it to be. And I'm going to, I'm going to ignore all the comments and ignore all the feedback. Now, granted, we're in a different sphere here, but I think I've heard those kind of opinions too, of people that are like, you know what, I'm not going to take this feedback in. I know what I'm doing. I'm following my, my compass. I know what's correct for me. And I'm going to just stay on that course. How do you sort of respond to that and kind of help somebody realize that the feedback doesn't necessarily mean they have to give up everything or change everything, but they should be getting, you know, some of that input in from externally. Yeah. My, my question response would be, how did you build that compass? because you had to learn what you believe your compass to be somehow. And I guarantee that came from feedback from others, even though you might not recognize that it's actually feedback from others. You know, there are certain people who are very good at getting others to buy into their ideas as if it were their own. <laughs> that is a skill. And I think we, we all know people who can do that, but you know, every single individual can benefit from feedback. 
we mm. we get so caught up in our own heads in the narrative that we've written for ourselves that we just don't recognize sometimes the impact that we're having on others when we're going about our days and we're going about our jobs and we're looking to succeed and continue to grow in our careers. But we don't work in a silo. We don't work individually. You know, all business, <laughs> business is an exchange of ideas. There's always somebody else involved. And so I think it's really, really important to embrace feedback. And I'm not saying you have to take every single piece of feedback you get as gospel because Trust me, there's a lot of bad feedback that I get. And I'm like, really appreciate it. I'm going to set this one aside. That's just part of the journey of receiving feedback from others. Yeah, it is certainly one of the most impressive things when you see it in other people is leaders that can take feedback in, mine it for anything useful to them, and not let it enter in deeper than it needs to. I think that's always some of the difficulty with accepting feedback is when it stops being sort of utility for you and sort of breaches into your ego and, and your psyche <laughs> and starts to change things that are more yeah. innate about you. And I think that's where maybe that's part of the lessons that people have to have is like, no, take it and extract out the useful parts to you and then set the rest of it aside because exactly. it's not useful to you, then it's, it's not not something you need to internalize. Yeah. And that is a skill that you need to build. And, you know, when, when I talk about giving good feedback to somebody, not positive feedback, giving good quality mm -hmm. feedback to somebody, I want you to think about the timeliness of it. It should be immediate. I want you to think about the specificity of it. There shouldn't be any questions about how, you know, what the feedback is about. And then third, it should be about the action, not the person. So you should always be giving feedback about what happened and not, hey, you're bad at your job, or you're not a good presenter, or you really messed that up. You know, that's not helpful. That is attacking somebody. And so when you're receiving feedback, you flip the script and you recognize, hey, if I were to give good feedback, if I were on the, the other end of this and I was giving myself this feedback, this is how I would expect somebody to give this feedback to me. And if they're not giving that to you, that's when you start asking, you know, those clarifying questions. So, you know, for example, if somebody comes to you and it's like, hey, I don't think you did a good job delivering on this project. Why? You know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about, let's break this down and understand, was it a timeline thing? Was it a confusion around delivery dates? Was it the quality of the work? Like, let's talk about specifically what it was, you know? And if somebody comes to you and being and says like, you know, when you presented for your team update six weeks ago, you know, I don't think you really did a good job covering what it was. Why am I just hearing about this now six weeks later? We should have had this conversation a whole lot sooner. And, you know, there's always going to be recency bias in the in the feedback you give. You know, we talk about recency bias when you're doing um, annual reviews for your team or, you know, whichever uh, duration you're giving uh, your reviews to your team. But you're going to forget information as time goes on. And so it's going to be more and more difficult to be specific, be as specific as you should be when giving that feedback, the longer you wait. And that's when you start getting, getting into vague feedback. But you might remember an individual thing that a person did, and then it becomes about the person and not the action. So you see where I'm getting here? Yeah, I, I love the distinction too between specificity and the personal nature of it, because I think that's one that maybe could be misunderstood. I think people might obviously understand personal, like feedback that's too personal, like you're terrible, you're bad or whatever, something that is attacking that person um, specifically, but like, I also find that sometimes feedback is cultural from the perspective of if it isolates people, 
it, when, when feedback says, hey, you're doing poorly, the team's doing great, you're doing badly, and it pulls them away from the team, I find that feedback to be very difficult to take and very difficult, obviously, to hopefully I'm never giving it, but like it's, it's just difficult <laughs> yeah. feedback to see people having to take, I suppose. Absolutely. And, and sometimes the exact same thing can be said, but if it's said from a perspective of like, hey, we're all part of a team, we're part of a winning team here, you know, we're, we, we'll help you, we need to fix this though. This is a deficiency, we have to fix this. Sometimes that feedback, it goes down a lot easier and that feels cultural on some aspect. Like you have to have a mutual respect kind of culture for feedback like that to go out and it not to be the kind of feedback that pulls people out of the team or makes them feel attacked in some way. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to remember, you know, speaking of culture, when you work on on an international team, you work on on a team with multiple Mm. cultures, which I very much guarantee you do unless all your all your teammates are Stanford grads who went graduated from the same program. Like there's still going to be differences in culture and that. But even still, you know, I think it's really important to remember that the delivery of feedback varies from culture to culture. You know, you have cultures who, um, you know, we, we often talk about this idea that when I'm giving you feedback, I'm going to start with something positive and then I'm going to give the actual feedback and then I'm going to wrap it around <laughs> with more positive feedback. And then the person on the receiving end of that is like, so did I do good or bad? Like, I don't know. Do I have anything to improve upon? Uh, but there are also some cultures like uh, in, in Western Europe, for example, they're going to be very blunt with you. They're going to say this this presentation sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not personal. It's them being honest, like, hey, this this presentation is not good. And now you should also, of course, uncover, you know, what exactly is not good about it and have those conversations so you can improve. But this is this is why it's important to recognize where the feedback is coming from Mm -hmm. and parse it and understand, you know, is this about the presentation or, you know, is this about me? And nine times out of 10, it's not about you. It's about the presentation and therefore you have to be able to brush it off and kind of set that aside and focus on the actual issue at hand. All right. Well, we have more of this conversation, but before we continue, I wanted to take a second to thank today's sponsor, This.Labs. This.Labs is a consultancy focused on helping companies with their digital transformation efforts. And that might sound like a buzzword, but what it means is helping companies align their business objectives with their digital efforts, whether that be replatforming, modernizing, or spinning up new projects. This dot has worked with companies like Stripe, Zero, Wikimedia, DocuSign, and Twilio. Check them out at thisdot.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thank you, of course, to this dot for allowing me to have these kind of conversations. All right, back to our show. All right, Kelly, one of the things that I think is fascinating about feedback and, and this kind of idea, too, is this idea that a lot of times leaders sometimes haven't failed much. And some senior leaders who are listening to this are cannot believe this. And certainly as an entrepreneur yourself, you're like, I cannot believe this. But failure? People, What's that? Never yeah, better. <laughs> some people come to leadership um, being the most excellent person in their school and then becoming the most excellent junior engineer and the most excellent senior engineer and then being, well, you know, being very interested in their company. And they just keep rising and they're rising and they're rising. And then when you receive that sort of critical feedback, Um, And again, I know it sounds like it's hard to understand this, but like some people have never gotten negative feedback and it's incredibly difficult. So how do you teach people to fail better? (laughs) How do you teach that in a way that can help them, you know, be able to understand that it's okay to need feedback, critical feedback? 
yeah. Uh, I, I feel it's a cultural thing. It's a, it's a, it's a team culture. It's a company culture. It's, it's building an environment where it's okay to fail and it's okay to, Hey, have a conversation about this. Let's, let's regroup because this didn't work. You know, it, at spot we've had projects that went way over schedule we all have had that we all know what that's like but it's important to be- take a step back and be like okay what happened here let's not get into like let, let's let's keep this blameless like it's not about engineer a or engineer b or the product manager or me you know there are multiple people at play here we're all a team so let's talk about what happened and, you know, we have outages. We've all experienced those as well. Somebody maybe deployed some code that, you know, wasn't well, well tested or staging didn't match production or, you know, whatever it happens to be. We've all messed up at some point. And it's important to, again, have that blameless culture to be able to say, hey, this outage happened. How can we prevent it from happening again in the future that has nothing to do with the individual that caused the outage? And that starts right. that starts in leadership that starts in the leadership level to be able to have these conversations and to normalize failure in a working environment. Yeah. And that feels so unnatural to say to leaders is to say, like, you need to make your people better at failing. You need to set them up to fail some of the time. Yeah. Um, and it seems so counterintuitive. So much of what we pride ourselves on or we're told is like, no, you need to ensure success. I ensure success at my company. But 100 percent of the time we fail zero percent of the time. Yeah. Perfect. And right. And and like that is probably, you know, I've heard it said, I can't even know who it's attributed to, but that if you never fail, then you're not actually succeeding. Um, yeah. You know, it's like I've heard that with relationships, too. It's like nothing's no relationship is more toxic than one in which the two people never fight. We never fight. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's like, well, then you don't know. How so what are you to. avoiding? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that is an interesting feedback is that like people need to be pushing their teams to take risks that are controlled and measured and whatever else Mm -hmm. and and learn to fail and 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 then to learn lessons from it and then turn those into successes. I think that's I think that's an interesting goal. I know that's one of my goals for this year is to just fail more. And I love telling people that that's my goal is to fail more this year, because it means that I'm trying harder. I'm trying more audacious things and I'm learning to be okay with some of them not working, which is, I think it's very counterintuitive, I think, for a lot of leaders. I love that. I think I have learned more in my career from the failures that I made than the successes that I got, because I look back on these successes and I'm like, was it luck? Was I good at something? I don't know. But when I failed, I know I failed. There's no question about it. Yeah. And then it's it's really that idea. It's like just like learning to take feedback and giving feedback is really is about being able to analyze things that go wrong. And can you really understand what drove it? Can you even understand how you arrived at that position in the first place? Because if you're just bouncing off the walls, you know, how did you even know what decisions you made and why you made them? You were just sort of randomly picking And so like, I think that that all points to disciplines of good leadership as well, is that idea is like, do you have an ordered approach to things so that you can even go back and analyze how you got there, possibly avoid it in the future? So exactly, exactly. Great. I know one of the other things that you talked about too, was this idea of leading without a manager title. And I think this is fascinating. I I know you've recently been, uh, obviously you've written about it in your newsletter, you were, you were live streaming uh, about it as well. And this is one that I, I find fascinating because I've heard some people say that like, this is a thing that you just get or you don't get. P- 
people that are natural leaders are driven to do this naturally and people that aren't, aren't driven to do it. And I, I don't like that explanation. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, is the, what, what causes this and how do you pull it out of people? Is this something that like, is it about having good um, mentors and, and, and things along that way and that you can be taught? Or is this like a trait that some people are good at it and other people are, you know, it's less natural to them? There are definitely parts of it that people, it comes naturally to some. I, I mean, take emotional intelligence, for example. This has never been an area where I have been like, not good at it. Uh, I also have a degree in social work. Like I'm a trained therapist. Of course, I've been focusing on emotional intelligence as part of my studies. But I also know that this is something that comes natural to, naturally to me. You also have people who naturally tend to focus on lifting up others. And, you know, there are there's a there's a limit to it where, you know, you you hear that people will like dull their sun to let others shine. And, you know, you don't want to just dim yourself in the process, but they don't think they, they don't have to, you know, it, it comes effortlessly to think about others and like to lift those lift others up. It does not come effortlessly to everybody. And this is why I think, you know, even if things like parts of this come naturally to you, there's always room for people to improve. You know, I've been in leadership for eight, nine, 10 years at this point. I've, it's still an area that I continue to improve upon as, you know, as much as possible. And that's why I, you know, I truly believe that anybody can lead without a management title, especially, you know, we talk to, uh, we all, we often say, you know, work, like do the job you want to have, which I'm not going to get into the, in the, the pros and cons of that. But it, I think when it comes to the, the personal side of it, not the technical side of it, this is a really easy thing to embrace. Because who doesn't want to become a better leader and, you know, be in what I when I say that, by the way, I'm saying, like, encourage others, identify those opportunities and give them feedback, constantly ask for feedback, work on your emotional intelligence. That is work on how you respond to others when they bring you that feedback and how to recognize the emotions in others, recognize when you want to give somebody feedback, but they're already in a really bad mental place. It might not be the right time to be giving them that feedback. You know, whether you're a leader or not, whether you have a management title or not, these are the kinds of things that everybody should constantly be working on. Yeah. And I mean, some people might realize that they enjoy or are better mentors than they are managers. Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, That's my favorite thing, honestly. Power or versus hard power. It's some people think like, oh, I, to have influence, I have to be the one in charge. I have to be the one the title. I have to sit in the chair. And it's like sometimes, no, it's sometimes it's worse depending on what your goals are and what your skill set is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I see this a lot. Like I have a lot of engineers who are phenomenal ICs who have no interest in being in leadership and in like people management. And they have some of the most influence in our organization because of the, the skill set they bring, because of the way they bring a lot, bring others along, because of the way they can help others continue to build and improve and mentor them, as you said, without actually having to manage them on the day to day. They're just really organized. They're really good at thinking through the, the business side of the context without having to, you know, focus entirely, say, on the engineering side of things and really build that bigger picture, especially for those who struggle to build that bigger picture, which is often what you see in junior and more mid-level engineers. I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested to flip this on its head and look at another angle of it, which is to say, for the manager that has people that are exerting this level of leadership and this level of influence, how do they become better at doing that? What I mean is, 
you know, I've heard some people think that, oh, to, it would be such an amazing experience to be the manager of a team of extremely high potential people. Like what if it was, was all engineering managers who went back to being ICs? What an amazing team to have. This is so intimidating to <laughs> see what, what you offer a, as a leader to a group of people who could all be sitting in your chair. It's a, I'm oftentimes a lot easier to lead juniors or people that are obviously below you in experience or whatever. So what are kind of your experiences and your lessons for being a good leader of people who are exerting influence? Is it about magnifying it? Obviously, it's about being comfortable with it yourself and, and yeah. managing around it. But kind of what are your thoughts on this? Everyone has individual strengths they bring to a team. And one of the biggest things you can have at play here as the leader who is leading people who have that high level of influence is leverage those strengths. You know, use them for the advantage of the entire team as a whole and keep your ego out of it. You know, there are times when, uh, you know, two people might have a conversation that doesn't include me at all. And I'll get looped in after the fact. So long as I know what's going on, I don't need to be involved in every conversation. And frankly, that lessens the workload on my plate, which we all know is never ending. And so I'm going to leverage these strengths of my team members to say, hey, I trust you to run with run point on this entire project end to end, have the conversations with the product manager, loop in, you know, additional leadership, loop in the other teams that are necessary for this. I fully believe that you're going to be able to execute on this beautifully. And we're obviously going to continue to check in and talk about it. And when you run into roadblocks, I'm here for you. But I want to see you succeed. And I want to give you the ability to run with this. And I'm going to focus my time on something else. Yeah, I find that to be so so difficult for new for new leaders. Oh, uh, yes. A lot of mentoring of new leaders and they're they're constantly wondering how to enable their team and how to relinquish their control. They don't want to be smothering. And I'm like, at some level, you need to know that you can land this at the end. Just yeah. land it first, however you can land it. Then you can learn to get better at enabling your team and stepping back. But I've seen a lot of managers fall into that trap of stepping back first and just, oh, I trust my team. I'm going to empower my team. And then the whole thing falls apart and they know that they have to step in front of it, but they don't feel good because they're like, these were all obvious mistakes that I should have caught, that they should have caught. And uh, I think that's a common trap is to is to give too much power up front. But at the same time, you, you like you said, you do want to empower these people, especially if they're these types of people that are very influential. So yeah. I don't know that I would give such a team to a new a new manager. I absolutely uh, would not. And that's one thing <laughs> that I often stress for 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 new EMs coming in. Like I think it's it's it goes both ways. I would never have a team full of seniors and I would never have a team full of juniors. I think you need a good mix because you're going to be able to leverage the more senior engineers to help you mentor the and coach the the more junior engineers, but to be able to relinquish some of that some of the duties that you previously had, especially if you were an IC on the team that you're now managing, because that is an adjustment because you know how to do all this work and you want to jump right in and be like, oh, I'm going to start solutioning. It's going to be great. We're going to get so much done together, but I'm also now your manager. And delegation as a new new manager is something that's, that people really struggle with. But as you said, yeah. it's the same. It's the same way. You're like, I fully trust you. I'm going to step back. Keep those training wheels on. You don't have to relinquish all power. You could, and that's the whole thing is like continue to check in. And frankly, as a newer, as, as a newer leader, as a newer manager who is now managing more seniors who are, you know, leading projects on to end, you should have more touch points because you're going to learn what questions to ask to make sure you're following along with the project. Then you know what's happening without you having to know every single intricate detail and be involved in every single issue that arises. Absolutely.
I love that. And I love to just, that's why this career is such a, a fun one. It's just this idea that the things you think should be easy end up being some of the hardest ones. Exactly. Like, oh, delegation, telling other people to do the work. Easiest thing I could possibly imagine. No, it's actually really hard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do this, but do it my way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in a way that I can guarantee to somebody else that the quality is going to be at a certain bar, but at the same time, set you up so that you can maybe fall short of it as a learning experience to fail successfully in a way we can still recover. Totally not nuanced at all. Totally it's fine. Easy. It's fine. Everyone, everything's going to be great. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, this has been a great conversation and a lot of great insights. For people that want more of your insights on engineering leadership, can you kind of help them know uh, where they can find out more? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my newsletter, Lessons in Engineering Leadership, you can find at engineeringleadership.xyz or engleadership.xyz or lessonsinengineeringleadership.com. I think I bought that one as well because it's terribly long. Um, and then my engineering management course, if you're interested in that, uh, you can find it at maven.com forward slash Kelly Vaughn forward slash engineering dash management. Well, wonderful. That's going to be it for us today. Thank you so much to Kelly for being our guest. And thanks, thank you to each of you for being here and listening. Hope to see you all next time. As we close out, we would like to thank our sponsor, This.Labs, one last time, who would like me to remind you that sometimes it's hard to bridge the gap between business objectives and tech implementation, and it can get messy. This dot is trusted by names like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile, and they love helping business leaders fulfill their strategic digital initiatives. Check them out at this.co. One more time, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks, everybody.